a bunch of people out here in Miami don't know how to record podcasts. No, they, well, it's not that they don't know how to record podcasts. It's just that like, there's not as many content creators out here. I mean, mm. there are some, um, I guess I should like look at you when I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> there are some content creators out here, but I feel like they, it's just like a lot less. Like everyone that you meet in LA is a, an artist of some sort or like, yeah. Yeah. Out here, it's not really like that. Well, what kind of, what, what kind of artists are there out there? Everybody's a, everybody's a DJ out here? A lot of people, yeah. There's a lot of DJs. A lot of my friends that I met are DJs. I guess like a lot of like Instagram model type girls. And then like a lot of actual artists, like painting type artists there are. But there's not a lot of people pursuing, I guess, what I'm pursuing. Which is like comedy or like acting or like stuff like that, you know? Yeah, so, like, how, how does your comedy, like, differ? Or, like, I guess you could say, well, how would you define your comedy, right? Because there's lots of areas of comedy. There's stand-up, mm-hmm. there's, you know, acting. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a whole section of TikTok comedy now that's, mm-hmm. that, that that's its own fucking animal. Well, I think right now is a really, it's a really weird time to be a comedian, and I actually think about it a lot because I'm pretty new to stand-up, but there's so many different, like, is facets the word? Is facets the word? My mom's going to be so embarrassed. <laughs> um, there's so many different like like sides to comedy these days, right? Yeah. Like, so there's, there is TikTok, there's Instagram, there's YouTube, um, there's obviously stand-up. Um, and comedians have kind of always been like kind of the jack of all trades in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a really competitive time because there's so many comedians and with the internet, everybody is thinks they're a comedian now. And there are a lot of funny people on the internet. Yeah. So, but like the, the internet's also responsible for like what a lot of comedians would accuse of like joke stealing. Yes. Or like, yes. You know, Cause it used to be like, you go into a comedy club, you hear Jerry Seinfeld give a bit. And if mm-hmm. you gave a bit and you got started rising to Jerry Seinfeld's level, like, mm-hmm. Oh shit. Yeah. That was obviously Jerry Seinfeld's mm-hmm. bit. But like on the internet, like who the fuck knows who, ca- who created the whatever meme or, yeah. sa- or and said you can the take a tweet. meme and you can turn it into a joke. And I've actually heard some people, at least out here, like tell a joke and I'm like, that's a meme. <laughs> like write something original, please. How do you, I, I guess, prevent against that? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, cause like we're so influenced by like memes and shit that we read on a daily basis. Like how do you, I guess what's the, how, what's the difference of pulling like where do you the draw audience? Yeah. Like uh, where do you draw uh-huh. the line between this is where I drew inspiration from or uh-huh. where I just jacked a meme? I mean, there's, when you write a joke, there's certain aspects to the joke that are, it's going to be very clear if you took it like the punchline or whatever. Yeah. Um, so for example, a lot of my jokes, actually I pull from things that I've like little things that I've said on the internet that I'm like, Oh, that was really funny. Mm -hmm. And then I'll end up putting it into my set. Um, so it's usually pretty clear when somebody steals it from a meme, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard. There's so many things about comedy right now that are hard because you really have to find a way to set yourself apart. Mm-hmm. Like, and you have to make it on the internet now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, like you can be, I mean, I guess you don't have to, I think if you want to like make real money and have recognition, you have to be active in content creation and stuff like that. Yeah. So, and I'm not really I like, I like creating things, but I'm not really, I don't know. It's weird for me to have to do that. 
Yeah. Did you, you used to be a singer or have you always <laughs> sung and done comedy <laughs> or like what? Yeah. Tell, tell everyone your background. I'm here, here with, uh, with big Mac Lawson, big Mac Lawson. Um, but, uh, yeah, tell everybody your background for people that don't know who you are and, and kind of like how you got to where you are now. So I, um, I was homeschooled growing up mm-hmm. and my mom was really good at, um, exposing all of us to a lot of different types of things. So my dad was a drummer. My mom is an artist and my dad taught me how to play the drums. My mom had me in violin lessons. I learned how to play guitar and piano on my own. And I just always had like a thing for the arts. Um, I was a gymnast. Um, so my mom was kind of like, (laughs) I'm going to get canceled, but mom was kind of like the typical like Asian parents, even though we're not, she's not Asian, but she was kind of like the typical Asian parents. It was like, everything was about like how well you did. And like, (laughs) I'm definitely going to get canceled. Scrutiny on those report cards. Yeah. It's just like, um, she's very, very intense and no, and I was homeschooled too. So Mm. anyway, she forced me to be exposed to a lot of different stuff. Um, but one thing that I really, really enjoyed was film. I would write and produce my own movies. I mean, I was doing it when I was like five years old. Mm. So as I got older, um, the goal was my mom wanted me to go to law school and I started on that path and I was a paralegal for like three years and I just hated it. I think now I would have more of appreciation for law because you, you go to jail. <laughs> Nothing crazy guys. But yeah, when, you're, when, you're, when you're, when you're locked up inside, you're like, why didn't I study that? No, but I think now I might have more of an interest in it. But at the time I was like, this is not what I want to do. So I basically long story short dropped out of school and was like, I'm going to Hollywood. I want to write and produce movies. Okay. And so I would, I didn't, I'm actually kind of shy, um, which maybe nobody believes that, but I'm actually kind of shy and I never thought to myself, I want to be a stand up comedian. Yeah. I got like pushed into it by like a lot of people. I actually wanted to be behind the camera. So interesting. So you, you, I actually, you find that a lot with comedians. They're Mm -hmm. typically introverted people Mm -hmm. on like, in real life. Uh, in real life, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes that level of introspection to be that comfortable with yourself to put up with bombing. Yeah. And to and to put yourself in that environment. Yeah. Um I think Joe Rogan talks about it feeling like mm-hmm. sucking a thousand dicks in front of your mom if you're a guy that's not gay. That <laughs> <laughs> doesn't that's hate his mom. <laughs> but Or doesn't uh, have a thing for yeah. his mom. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, for you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, mom. Oh, but um yeah, no, I mean like it just sounds like it it's it sounds like such an unbearable it's pain, re- voluntary pain to put yourself through. Yeah, like I um A lot of comedians always say, like, you have to be kind of a little messed up to be a comedian. And, you know, now looking back when I was a kid, the kind of stuff, the kind of like content that I was creating or movies, I would call them movies and I would like burn them to a CD. At one point I wanted to sell them. Nobody would have bought them. <laughs> you were you really were coming from the I Asian really, background. You're like you're like scholastic yeah, bootlegged exactly. movies on the side of the <laughs> But um yeah, I was always like doing things that I think a comedian would do. I just didn't know. 
Um, but what pushed me into it was I got a brain injury mm. and it was when I first moved to LA and I was like, so not okay. Like personally, and I was so alone, but I had just moved there. So I didn't want to give up. Mm hmm. Cause that was my dream my whole life. So I stuck it out, but I was so depressed. So the best way to cope with depression is to joke. Mm -hmm. So I'll go on my Instagram and I would just go on these, I would go on these rants. And I personally thought I was probably annoying, but I didn't care, but people just like loved them. And so I had multiple people tell me, why are you not doing stand up comedy? Why are you not doing stand up comedy? Like people in the comedy scene. And after enough people told me, I was like, oh, let me just try it. Yeah. And I think I've done pretty well in the amount of time I've been in it. So did you, did the depression come, was that a, a result of, of the, the brain, brain injury, injury or was it a result of the brain injuries rehab, like putting you in a different world that you weren't used to or it was everything? It was both. I mean, I, I, I had depression a little bit when I was younger, okay. um, but I didn't have it prior to the brain injury is actually the happiest I'd ever been prior to the brain injury. There's not a lot of knowledge about brain injuries. It's something even doctors don't really know too much about, mm -hmm. but you know, 99% of people that get a brain injury have depression one because of like the chemical imbalance and two, because you kind of are like lost inside your own body as dramatic and depressing, depressing as that sounds. Um, it's kind of like you're just sitting there in a body and, you feel completely detached to everything that you used to be. Mm. So I knew something was wrong with me. And then it got even worse because once I realized I had the brain injury, I was like, I was like, of course the neighbors are being loud. <laughs> yeah, we, we are in Miami for music week. So like just out of nowhere, people will just start partying screeching. left and right. So it's, it, we're okay. Like yeah. a couple weeks ago, we did a show on a yacht. Oh, so, perfect. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Used to it. yeah. Um, but yeah, so people get, or people get depressed when they're on the, when they have a brain injury because they feel so like detached from themselves and then right. to make it even worse not to depress the audience but it was actually my ex-boyfriend who gave me it mm. and I was like very much in love with him mm. um so it was just like a it was the the worst time in my life and I am kind of a religious person I knew that if I held out eventually the tides would turn sure. and I didn't know how long it would take, but I, I knew that my brain would eventually get better and it did. I still have some symptoms, but pretty normal. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it, like you took that depression and then you went into comedy, mm -hmm. like straight from there. Yeah. I would okay. did my first, um, I did one show and I went up actually on stage with my girlfriend and she kind of like, I don't say she choked, but she got a little nervous and I just took the mic and I just like did it. And I was like, I oh, was so like wait, this was your girlfriend's show. And then she was just bombing. And we went together. And, she oh, was okay. actually really nice. Okay. Uh, she, I, she's not my friend anymore though. I don't really like her, but at the time <laughs> she was really nice. I love to throw shade on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> drop bombs. Uh, why not? But yeah, she, no, she was really nice. She went on stage with me and it just, I didn't, I don't want to say I did great or anything, but I was like, Oh, I could actually do this for some, I never thought I'd be able to do it. But after getting on stage, I was like, Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So like you went up there with your friend, you guys thought, okay, we'll, we'll endure this together. Mm -hmm. She bombs completely gives up. And then Mac daddy picks up the mic and just, and, and like carries the entire ship for, a, for the first one. It was oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I think as a comedian, something, 
something that it takes is it kind of takes a little bit of low self-esteem, right? Which is kind of weird because, or maybe like a very humble, like, um, perspective on yourself. Okay. Because we got to a point where like one of the jokes didn't land and that's when she kind of like, they got in, into her head, you know? She was like, she was really dependent upon that joke landing. Yeah, she's like, yeah. LA girl, she's pretty. She's like, okay, this is like, um, I don't want anyone to think I'm not like good at this. And then she kind of clammed up a little bit. And for me, I'm like, I don't fucking care what anyone thinks about me. Like, I'm, my whole life sucks right now. Let me just keep going. And then that's, I think a lot of comedians have that same. Do you look. remember what the joke was? I don't know, but I'm probably happy that I don't remember it. Cause <laughs> it was so <Okay>. bad. <laughs> it was really bad. Like nothing. I, don't, I didn't actually go on stage after that show. I, I didn't go on stage again for like another three months. And then I forced some girls to put me on a show after that. And I got on a really good show for my first show. Like a reality show? No, a comedy show. So oh. I, I was the events coordinator at um, the Phoenix and these girls, it was weird because I manifested it. Well, it's not weird. I'm like really into that stuff. But I was like, it was like two days before manifested, prayed, whatever. I was like, you know, if this is what I'm meant to do, like put it in my path. I want to start doing more stand-up. And I got a call about an event. This girl wanted to put on a comedy show and I was the events coordinator. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I was like, we'll do the comedy show, but you have to put me on it. Mm. <laughs> and it just so happened, it was like, a lot of really big comedians on the show. So it was kind of bad because I was like brand new and probably was like, shouldn't had no business being on the show, but it was really good too, because I got to like be around those like experienced comedians, even when sometimes they didn't do a really good job. And I was Mm. like, Oh, I can, if they are not doing a good job and they've been doing it this long, then what's the difference between them and me? And it gave me probably too much confidence. (laughs) Oh, there you go. See that, that, that's such an interesting perspective because we always talk about seeing mentors or examples and seeing Mm -hmm. how they do it and learning from how they do it. Yeah. But we don't ever talk about seeing mentors fail and seeing how they, seeing how they handle failure. Yeah. And I think part of it had to do like, it's so weird because when you go through something really hard mm-hmm. and it's one of the reasons I'm not a very, I have a lot of empathy, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for people. Nice. That's it. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. That's a t-shirt. You can <laughs> click the link in the bio. Drop in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't have a lot of sympathy for people because I was just living in such a place of like. I guess, reckless abandon. Like I didn't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. And I was like, man, I'm up here with a brain injury. Like, I don't know. It it was weird. Like everything was going so bad and I was still pushing through. So it was like, I just had this crazy confidence. I don't know where. But I think it's your, your face. And like, this is like, this is something that I battle with consistently. Mm -hmm. And I'll say this as humbly as possible, but like, the biggest struggle I think I have in my life is that I've <laughs> never faced real adversity or real chip on, chip on real trip chip on my shoulder that's caused me to like be like excellent or like beyond great. Right. Because like when I'm around like my friends with like really like, you know, either, either they have a fucked up childhood or Mm -hmm. they had something happen to Mm -hmm. them. Like those moments, they either break people completely 
or they send those people into an entirely different echelon of success, right? Because at that point, like when you overcome that kind of (laughs) obstacle Mm -hmm. or that level of adversity, all the other shit that people complain about on Mm -hmm. a daily basis and make like a big deal, it doesn't fucking matter. It seems minuscule. And that's why like they were also freaking out like the the newer girls in the show and everything was like, oh, I did a bad job or they would get like so sad or so depressed. And I'm like, I honestly don't care. Like I almost was beaten to death like a year ago like this means nothing to me oh shit that's how that's it was really bad wow my brain injury yeah which is a whole nother story but so for me it was like nothing really mattered that much Mm -hmm. but looking back on it you know now that I'm in a better headspace and I feel like my heart and spirit are like healed or whatever it's like everything it's really a choice like it doesn't really matter what you're going through. You have a choice. And even though it can be really like lonely and isolating when you're going through hard times, you mm-hmm. still have a choice. Yeah. It's not, the pain's going to hurt no matter what, but you still have a choice. And that's why like sometimes I'm not mean to homeless people, but I'm like, I will not give you money. I'll give you water or a job or food. Yeah. I'm not going to give you money because you're just going to go buy meth. <laughs> but also like, I think what we don't ever talk about, well, Gary V talks about it a little bit is the odds of being born a human. Oh, compared to anything or a else. human in America. Yeah. Or hu- exactly. Or human for in me, America. a white fucking yeah. blonde girl. <laughs> I got I fucking one. I know this day and age. But I won. It, it's, it's something as radical as like you could, you, it's like winning the lottery 11 times in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. The, like some ridiculous stat like that, mm-hmm. that you're born human mm-hmm. and not some other species. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's like, holy fucking shit. When you think, mm-hmm. when you put that into perspective, it's like just being born human and having the ability yeah to do something yeah is is a gift in itself or that we're still fucking breathing right like yeah. we see people that we've like lost in like at young ages or, or they, from covid yeah they, 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 they yeah. <laughs> well if people die yeah. from covid i mean yeah. that shit was fucking crazy i got it I, I couldn't breathe and i was like thank fuck i'm like how many times am i gonna almost die <laughs> what's going on here <laughs> see i got covid but i didn't know i had covid until i couldn't smell weed anymore <laughs> typical like, yeah. fucking California. <laughs> typical California, exactly. <laughs> no, I got it really bad. I got. Oh, you had, a, you had the bad COVID. Oh my god, I almost died. But I was like, I was like, part, I had just started to get better, and my brain energy was like getting better. Uh, okay. I wasn't completely better, but I was better enough that I could like go party. So I was just being a degenerate. It's right before. Uh, oh well, I, no, I met you a while ago. Yeah. So was that was that before the rave cave or after the rave cave? Did you give me COVID? No, that was oh. <laughs> no. I didn't give you. You think I gave you COVID at the rave cave? You know how many people there probably had COVID. Well, you you gave probably twenty five other people COVID, which then they gave to me. But no, I got it actually the last week of February, so it was like right before it was like here. Oh, okay, but I had so when just you're traveled. Here, yeah. No, no, no. This is like before COVID came here. Oh, uh, okay. And the doctor. COVID was pretty slow getting to Florida. It took its time. Yeah. No, I was in LA. <laughs> it was, I was like, I know I was one of the first cases. Oh, uh, okay. And the doctor out there, he was like, it's not COVID. And I was like, it's COVID. I don't get sick and I can't breathe. I'm like, it's exactly what they're saying. And he's like, COVID's not in the United States. And I'm like, do you have a test for it? Because oh, shit. I have it. Anyway, patient zero here. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) California patient zero. So let's talk more though about your creative process and how you write your material or do you write your material? Like there's fuck. I I don't let people write my jokes. I just let, I just learned the other day that earthquake doesn't even know how to like write. 
Really? Like he everything he does, he just goes up on stage and does and it off his head. He does it off his head, and then he'll just remember it and just go again. Like I definitely there's wild examples of that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I do that too. My set, I actually like the base of my set. I wrote it probably 30 minutes before going on stage. And then I've just built on it since then. Okay. So walk me through that process. Like, do you, mm-hmm. like as a DJ, when I would put together my mixes, mm-hmm. I had an idea of like, okay, I'm going to, if the last DJ plays this style of track, mm-hmm. I'm going to play the, either this track or this mm-hmm. track. If he mm-hmm. plays this style of track, then I'm going to play either this track or this track. I didn't know how the entire set was going to go, but I kind of knew I had my first three anchoring songs down because anytime you get on top of the decks, mm-hmm. like you're trying to make sure the last DJ didn't do something fucking weird with the effects panel or like you're sitting there like a fucking technician trying to mm-hmm. figure everything mm-hmm. out. Right. Yeah. So like you, the last thing you want to do is figure is also think about what you're going to play, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. that was in the, that was in the can. Mm-hmm. The ending was always in the can mm-hmm. because I wanted to make sure that like I left it on the right note and that yeah. I wasn't just like, Oh shit, I'm out of time, you know? Uh-huh. But like everything in between, I always felt like I was kind of going off the crowd. Is that the same in comedy or are you more Jerry Seinfeld where like you write everything Every out from word. start to finish and yeah. you practice it so much that it's just perfect. So there, I've only been doing stand-up, if you count COVID, as a year, which Whoa. I, no, not a year, like three, two or three years. Okay. So I'm like brand new, but one of those years was COVID. Trust me, I was still doing like finding ways to like do. That's comedy. amazing. I thought you were doing. I thought you had done a lot longer. When a I lot was. of people. I. That's what I'm saying. I think I've come pretty far in a short amount of time. Yeah. But, um. It's also I was like pushed into it by like the universe. So it's like I don't know. Anyway, I'm like super spir- weird spiritual, but there's. Good things to both. I think once you learn a joke enough, like learn, when I say that, I mean like learn how it always hits because Mm -hmm. jokes will hit with some crowds and they won't hit with other crowds. But if you learn the way to say a joke where it always hits, then it really helps to memorize it. I know people like there's this one guy out here in Florida that he says every single word, every single thing, the same, every single time he goes up. And I, every single time I think it's funny, but sometimes the crowd doesn't think it's funny. And he just bombs that day. I like it. So I think it's funny every time he says it. So I don't want to, you know, speak for all comedians because I'm sure there's different comedians that do different things. But for me personally, I have jokes that I know work and I'll kind of read the crowd to. So but just to pause, pause on that point, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. he obviously thought that joke worked because he was getting good feedback from comedians Mm -hmm. like yourself. Mm -hmm. But the audience didn't think so. So how do you know it works? Um, is it just crowd tested? Is that the only way? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be like the expert level, like Jerry Seinfeld to where, or maybe you're just so known that the people that are coming to your shows are coming because they like your style of jokes, you know? Um, I'm not at that point right now yet. So for me, I'm still trying to win over every single crowd that I'm in front of. So my jokes are kind of, um, they're not political, but they mention political things and like things that make people uncomfortable. So because of that, I have to kind of read the room each each time. Got it. And then also gives me freedom to kind of expand on the jokes if they like them and kind of like, improvise which I actually really like to improvise okay so yeah let's talk about that so Mm -hmm. when you're when you're an opening act Mm -hmm. what how is your what's your strategy for reading the room Mm -hmm. or how do you 
how do you gauge, I guess, where cross, where you want to cross the line and where you don't like, do you want to cross the line immediately and see how they react and then taper back from there? Or do you want to like ease them in, get, get some chuckles going and then hit, then cross the line. One of my first things that I say, well, depending on how I like set it up, one of my first jokes that I told, um, with my set was raise your, well, the first thing I said was raise your hand if you voted for Trump. <laughs> no one raises their hand well that. some people like, do like really? one of my shows i had yeah one of my shows i guess we are in florida i forgot like well, people in california like they're afraid they'd afraid they'd be afraid, afraid. Shot. yeah dude. no but it was this tall black dude and he shot his hand up in the air <laughs> and i was like i was like this is perfect it was, it was little wayne yeah yeah but he like shot his hand up in there i was like oh yeah you're black of course you're not afraid to raise your hand and the whole crowd just started laughing so I personally, and I'm not sure if my comedy, I I hope my comedy will continue to evolve. Um, But right now I kind of like to make the audience a little uncomfortable because it gets their attention. Yeah. So a lot of my jokes are like that. Um, Another way that I start one of my jokes is I say it's really, really hard to be white. And I said that at my last show last night and there was like, you know, like a group of like African-Americans in front of me and that. Cause I wasn't a part of Florida where I think they thought I was serious and they just looked so uncomfortable. And I was like, guys, I'm a comedian. Like it's a joke. And then finally they relaxed and I was like, Oh my gosh. But, um, I think you can, I think that's a skill that I'm continuing to learn Yeah. because at first when people wouldn't laugh at my jokes instantly in my head, I was like, Oh, I'm not funny. But now I look at it and I'm like, okay, that's not, that's not how they want me to tell this next joke. And I'll like work it around that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and, and to that point, a lot of, a lot of people, there's always some speculation that comedians plant audience members to like run audience bits off of. Is that, have you seen, is that something that happens often or do when comedians run audience bits or bring the audience into it, is that really just a, a spontaneous it's interaction? It's spontaneous, but I will say that like when you do enough crowd work, you kind of remember things that always work. Okay. So when you get up on stage, you'll be like, okay, there's a couple. Oh, like, so you have like a whole list of crowd work bits in your mind. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, like, there's a, there's another interracial couple right there. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. Like I, I'm not going to probably keep this one, but I have this thing where I'm like, are you guys a couple? And if they're like, yeah, I'm like, how long have you been together? And last night they were like seven years. And I was, and I just looked at the girl and I was like, how did you do that? Cause like a lot of, <laughs> cause a lot of my jokes are like, I should probably like lighten up my set, but a lot of them are about just like my horrible dating life. And cause that's what got me into comedy. So yeah. it's like how I wrote like most of my, my set around it. But, but yeah, you kind of look for people in the crowd. Also you look for easy targets. Yeah. And you're, but comedians are like, that's, it's always going on in our brain. And the, the longer I've done comedy, the more I've realized that I think it's what I was always supposed to do. I just didn't have the confidence to call myself a comedian because my brain is always working that way. Mm-hmm. I'm all like, whether I'm driving or whatever I'm doing, I'm always thinking of like jokes pretty much. Yeah. And so when you're talking about like the writing process, like I'll be going to get something out of the fridge and I'll think of something funny about something in my fridge and I'll just have to pull up my phone and do a little voice note just cause I'll remember it. And then I'll build on the joke from there. There you go. So, mm-hmm. and so I had a, on the show, I had a TikTok comedian, Tori okay. Herman. 
Okay. And her writing process was very similar, right? Okay. Like she'd go through life mm-hmm. and she'd be like, cause she's always, she's a Russian comedian. So she's, she's always cool. looking for oh, Russian. Oh, is she here in Miami? She's in Los Angeles or OC, Los uh, Angeles. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. But, uh, she would look for, you know, she's constantly looking for <laughs> Russian stereotypes around that exist. I think I've seen this girl. Yeah. Yeah. She's funny. Yeah. Oh, and cool. Then, and now then, I feel like cooler. I'm like, and, oh, I was on her <laughs> podcast with her. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then so, but she had the exact same method. She yeah. would write down like a one liner, like, okay, this is mm-hmm. like, it's funny when, you know, mm-hmm. Russians get the vodka yeah, shit that yeah, she does. Yeah. Well, I really, one thing I really like about her is that she found a niche and mm-hmm. I think that's something that you have to do as a comedian as, as any type of comedian is you have to find a niche. So I'm especially s- online though, especially but online. like yeah. I feel like in your role with stand up, yeah. like that's the beauty of stand up is it's such a pure art form. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's almost kind of like DJing at a club there you do, where you're not the headliner and people mm-hmm. don't expect to hear your tracks yeah. opposed mm-hmm. to you know, producing music Mm -hmm. where when you produce music, you have to like, you have to build a brand within your music, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just like all that internet promotion takes so much away from the art. Yeah, it does. And And like, but, but, but but to your point, like Mm -hmm. if you have a a niche, like Mm -hmm. it helps, Mm -hmm. like it helps a lot. And it also just, it helps you funnel and fine tune that niche. So Mm -hmm. you get like really good at those jokes. And that's what, that's, what's phenomenal about Tori is like, she has a niche, but she's also so good at that niche that she separates herself from everybody else. She's funny. Well, I follow her and I don't particularly like anything that has to do with Russian comedy. I'm not Russian, but I just still think she's funny. And I think that she does a really good job. But yeah, what was I just about to say about that? Oh, you know, and one thing I know that's happening, at least within the comedy world, and I don't want to speak for everybody because like I said, I'm pretty new, but a lot of these like Viners, these like Vine comedians and I TikTokers too, uh, maybe not as much the TikTokers, but they're getting into stand up. Like King, uh, King, how do you say? So when they King shut Bach, down, when they King shut Bach, down, Bach. yeah, when they shut down Vine, then they started going on. Well, the, they've just it's like they are these like little skit comedians, and oh, gotcha, I think Amanda yeah. Cerny tried stand up, mm-hmm. and when I met her, she wasn't very nice, so she sucked at stand up. Oh, <laughs> um, hopefully well, she's she worked on pl- it. She was a Playboy model to start. She's though, hot wasn't as fuck. She? she just was so rude yeah. to me when I met her. She wouldn't. I like. I was like working this event. And I don't want to like throw shade on your podcast. I'm like, I'm just never going to. Oh, no, we're, we're thought leaders. We'll throw shade. Um, I'll, I'll have Amanda on here to her, her side. <laughs> She's not going to yeah, remember yeah. me. She didn't even look at me. She didn't make eye contact. She's pissed with off me. right now. She's going to come on. I was like helping her when I first moved to LA. I was like assisting her with this event. Like I was helping her and her boyfriend. And I just like said something to her and I was this close to her and she completely completely pretended that she didn't hear me. And I said something again, completely pretended that she didn't hear me. And I was like, oh. Gotcha. So I, I, I see where you're going with this is a lot of the Vine comedians like took the fame that they got with their skits yeah. and then they let it get to their head to the point where they thought they were funny because of all these. And I guess they are funny. It, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be Vine. It could yeah. be any of that stuff. And they are funny. Like yeah. Trevor Noah or not yeah. Trevor Noah, um, Trevor Wallace. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> he's really good at it. And King 
Uh, I didn't mean to throw shade at her or whatever. King Batch. I don't want to throw shade at her. Just be nice to me next time. (laughs) But because it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And that's, and that was my point of it is like, it's scary and it's hard. So you can be really funny in front of a camera, but in front of a crowd, it's very different. Yeah. And I, I've actually (laughs) been surprised that King Batch doesn't have bigger movie roles. Yeah. Because he's such a natural talent. Well, I've seen some a few movies that have been fucking terrible, but then he's been in them and he's been like the highlight of the movie. Yeah. Like straight up, like the guy on camera is fucking hilarious, you know, and that's like and, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm surprised that maybe he's choosing to go more stand up. Maybe right that's now, why you know? he's doing it to give yeah. himself more credibility. Yeah. I mean, because like really, though, the stand up is like the purest art form to mm-hmm. where it's kind of like you can choose the way your brand goes and that might be the or you can just choose how your your jokes go right mm-hmm. uh, like exclusively of a brand mm-hmm. right because even when you think of stand-ups it's very hard to like attach them to a brand no they're just themselves yeah and i think that was i just i knew so little about stand-up comedy until i was exposed to it but now that i'm in it I realized that this is what I've always wanted to be because stand-up comedians, uh, Chelsea Handler's, I didn't know Chelsea Handler was a stand-up comedian. I didn't know Adam Sandler was a stand-up comedian. I, I'm embarrassing. I didn't know that Jim Carrey was a stand-up comedian. I knew that he did in Live in Color. I didn't know that all of these people on Saturday Night Live were stand-up comedians. And my dream as a child was to be on either in Live in Color or Saturday Night Live or to have a late night talk show. And so once I actually did my first stand-up set, I started to like look into more of like what stand-up comedy is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they don't just go on stage. They literally do everything in Hollywood. They write, they produce, they host, they do everything. Well, the way I think it used to be in Hollywood, and I can yeah, say this confidently no. because that's where I'm from, yeah. is so many people talented come to Hollywood mm-hmm. to quote unquote make, make it, it right. And it used to, and still is this giant click of people mm-hmm. that decide who's going to be made and who's not going to be made. Mm-hmm. And they make that decision from people that they say, okay, dance, dance monkey dance. Like, let's see what you got. Right. Mm-hmm. Like perform your best. Mm-hmm. However that is. Mm-hmm. And the, for comedians, the best way to, sh- to showcase really how truly funny you were mm-hmm. is to do stand up. Like mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. there wasn't TikTok, there wasn't mm-hmm. Vine. Mm-hmm. You didn't have other me- media forums to mm-hmm. like be like, I'm funny. Look, mm-hmm. it was like, I have to be able to prove myself in front of a bunch of strangers mm-hmm. that like don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. And then I have to win over all these strangers. And then mm-hmm. after that, the studios could look at that and be like, okay, we can make a exactly. television show and even at that point even at that point they found comedians that were so good in stand-up and they killed their careers with shitty shows yeah you know like so even that even then some comedians like destroyed their careers by taking the golden ticket Mm -hmm. and doing a show and and then realize later like oh fuck i gotta i gotta go back Mm -hmm. and and do what i'm really fucking good at which is is like yeah is the true art form Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think I think though that there's still something like that still exists in Hollywood, which is like if you can, if you are one of these TikTok comedians or Instagram comedians or YouTube comedians, but you can get on stage 
and make people laugh and handle that type of pressure, I think you get a certain amount of respect because once I, when I first started, I got a job as like a, what is it? A PA production assistant. Okay. And, um, I got a job that was my first like Hollywood job and I was just treated like shit. And what I realized is once I started doing stand-up and I started to talk to different people like producers or uh, anyone within like the like industry, I got way more respect. People had so much more interest in what I had to say because I did stand-up. And so I think there still is a certain amount of respect around stand-up comedy just for the mere fact that we're embarrassing ourselves on purpose, you know, Mm. or potentially embarrassing ourselves on purpose. Well, I embarrass myself every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like when you say on on purpose, it's yeah. literally you're volunteering yourself to a lot of pain yeah. and suffering. Yeah. Um, very also not the same, but similar to how like early actors and actresses would have to volunteer themselves to tons of rejection through mm-hmm. auditions, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could come in and give your best, your best uh, performance and be like, okay, we'll call you, you know, mm-hmm. like under the next. So mm-hmm. part of me looks at our society today and it's just like, wait, where are the hard lines? I mean, obviously it's still in stand-up comedy. You're in one of those true art forms, but I think like so many professions and so many jobs have taken away like the grind or mm-hmm. the pain and like suffering. The, the pain, yeah, exactly. The grit's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. The grit and the pain, the suffering that comes early on that either molds people or filters out the people that shouldn't be there. Well, we live to kind of like go maybe too deep on it but we are so amazingly privileged to have been born at the time that we were in the country that we were or pretty much nine I don't want to say 90 but a lot of people on this earth like you don't really have to do anything to do mm. anything like a lot of people are working from home now like you don't have to go grocery shop anymore you can order your groceries you can order your alcohol you can order your shopping like you know it's like we're in a culture now where it doesn't take much grit for anything. So I think that's like even a, like a bigger like topic or issue to, to kind of like touch on is like, or not, we don't have to touch on it, but like to, to think about is like nothing really takes grit anymore. Yeah. Or there's a lot more, and you brought this up earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, I empathize. I don't sympathize. Like there's, a lot of people that actually don't have true empathy, mm-hmm. but are giving people a lot of fake sympathy. sympathy. Exactly. Bam. I had to leave these, LA. I'm going to make these fucking t-shirts. <laughs> I'm also going to get myself some more tequila. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's so hot in here. So, um, uh, we were talking about Luciano. Yeah. Uh, you, I know him through my Burning Man family. And I, he's in Vegas, but you, you're in a crypto group with him? Well, he got me into this crypto group. I, I saw him posting about it. And then from the, I got really into crypto last year. I did really good. And then I met all these people through that crypto group. It's just kind of weird. So wait, wait, what do you, what did you, do you want to share some of your crypto success? Well, I was just really good at spotting the shit coins that were going to take off. So I did it three times. Is this just like, um, it, is this kind of like. Is it sports betting or you just have a natural, a natural instinct for it? Or, uh, was, or did you do some homework and you actually educated yourself? On um, it was a little bit of both. It was like a little bit of education, but for this, 
for these three, it was like, I have like a really good sixth sense and I just had a feeling I like would like look at their, like look at their like Instagram or their uh, Twitter and like, oh, this looks legit. Da, da, da. But I was really just a gut feeling and I turned $200 to $10,000 three times last year. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That That's okay. That's something that most stand up comedians didn't have the opportunity to do. What is Crypto? well? well j- find something that they can flip like that. Oh yeah, you know, to make like money. like the old the old story of comics is like they're literally starving on the street, but they yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like having that allows you to like focus on your passion. Yeah. Um, which that's that's really interesting. So I, I'd I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. What was the what was the crypto group? Was it like a Telegram group? Like, or? Yeah, it started off as Telegram, and then they turned it into an app. It's actually called. Uh, boost trading mm-hmm. um and i'm like friends with the guys now who like shout out to it. boost yeah so i learned a lot through that group i learned a lot about crypto i kind of got into crypto nfts i don't really like do it right now um just because i haven't really been feeling like it but i am very much into that whole like web three like, cool area, yeah well we, we will be releasing an nft of you of this episode so, oh really yeah so i have an nft of me there you go yeah. another, yet another one um yeah. <laughs> but like that well that's kind of like the way we wanted to keep advertisers away and monetize it was uh-huh. we just felt we bake royalties into the show with nfts you know oh um so that's kind of the approach that we've taken with this is we'll release an entity of an episode and cool. if the, yeah if the episode takes off or the or you know something goes viral then you know there's ownership of the episode that's and so cool. it, it's kind of like you own your spot on the show like that's it's kind of really like cool. the show's got territory that's that's as deep as we're getting into it i think that <laughs> I, I think that the art NFTs are going to fall like a house of yes. cards eventually. Yeah. I think, you know, like I think people are going to get tired of buying pictures of apes and mm. pigeons and whatever else they're, they're making like mm. <laughs> the it's exact a- same character with like one's got sunglasses, one doesn't, one's, one's got a hat, one doesn't. Um, I think that's all going to kind of like deflate, but the opportunity of NFTs I see is like using NFTs to basically make any condition you want, you yeah, know, the, like, the utility of it the utility exactly the utility and then there is something to be well what i would like where i would like to see it go is like owning like your data which is maybe like i'm I'm stretching the whole idea of an nft but like your your data is worth so much money and right now our data i think like facebook has it google has it probably the government for sure has it and that's how they're able to target you for specific ads. And they're basically exploiting your search history mm-hmm. against you and for their own, you know, purposes. And what I, where I would like to see Web3 to go is to a point where you can own your data and have complete control over it. How, how, would, how would you see that working shout out to uh the social dilemma by the way and the neighbors shout out out to the what the social what shout out to the neighbors and shout out to the social dilemma that's kind of like what you're talking about right yeah yeah well there's actually um god there's a website and i don't remember it i think it's i think it's like ownyourdata.org yeah we'll we'll post in the show notes yeah but it's just basically a bunch of really smart people way smarter than i am like attorneys advocating for that because Right now, what's happening, um, I think way more than people even realize is that, 
you know, not just China, but the U.S. government and these big companies, they know so much about you because they have access to every single thing that you've ever done. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Google mixed with, you know, Instagram and Facebook. It's like they have access to all of your messages that you send people, what you search late at night. So they basically have a whole profile of you and you have no control over that. Yeah, I, I noticed that my ex-girlfriend used to always use a vibrator a lot. And then I started getting ads for vibrators. Really? Yeah. And I was like, I didn't even know sex companies could advertise. But like somehow, some way, I was started getting like lots of memes pop up about try this sex toy. Try this. I was like, wait a second. It's crazy. You know, they're listening for sure. But yeah. I think the yeah. big step yeah. is like getting off of these platforms like how the fuck do you get can't you can't so as long as you're using their platforms they're going to have information about you unless you have enough people who advocate for it and that's why i think the i think hopefully like you know five ten years down the line when people start to realize what's going on they can start to advocate for like oh this is this is actually like me as a person. You basically own me as a person, which people, I'm getting kind of deep with it, but they basically own you as a person. They know everything about you. They know everything that you want. Everything they know, like by the patterns, they know what you're going to want in like a week. It's crazy. There's this documentary about it. Have you seen it? Yeah. The social dilemma. Yeah. The social yeah. dilemma. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. I'm like yeah. slow. No, but I mean like, I think like where, and this is just my personal opinion. Obviously, everybody thinks about it different. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with Google, Facebook throwing me the most relevant ads, yeah, yeah. the most relevant ads, or if they know that I want a new mattress, yeah. they get in front of it and yeah. show me mattresses. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Or I have no, also have no problem with them suggesting friends or activities and all this kind of stuff that I'd like. The where I start to break is when they can actually change your behavior and what you would do mm-hmm. by turning this the dial a little bit more mm-hmm. by change by ramping up certain ads to make your actions go in a different direction to yeah. follow a specific narrative right yeah. like you saw a bunch of those people like i think they even talked about in the documentary that like showed up to a pizza place like looking to uh, they thought like a bunch of child slavery kids yeah, were like, yeah, yeah, in this in pizza. Like, yeah, they were like well, like Pizza Gate. Like they yeah, should have. Yeah, they should have tried to like trying to like free all these kids from this pizza place. And I was like, listen, like we can't like we can't weaponize people by using their data against them. Yeah, and that's and that's why I um, hope that I think that it'll work out where where Web three kind of makes it that way. And the other good thing about it too. I'm just, I'm very, I'm very libertarian, mm-hmm. although we do need government for certain things. I'm not saying that we don't, but I, I just want the government to stay the fuck out of my fucking business. Mm-hmm. And I think more people are like that. I think the problem is, is we have a two party system and we have so much money that money invested in, in techs and lobbyists and mm-hmm. whatnot that influence elections. So there ne- never can even be a third party. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of people that are on both sides of the ball that would mm-hmm. a- that are actually they're right in the middle, but mm-hmm. they're not allowed to communicate that they're right in the middle. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of people that want less government, but also want the social 
like the social advocate advocates that mm-hmm. liberals have, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want gays to get married. They want le- weed yeah, to le- yeah, yeah. be legal, but they also want you to fucking stay the fuck out of their life and not tax them more. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then on the opposite side, you know, there's people that, you know, you know, want more security and want more safety, but then also on the flip side of the coin, they're like very an- like anti the, or they'll, they'll be very human rights when it comes to like liberal issues, like mm-hmm. protecting the environment mm-hmm. or, or not exploiting workers. Mm-hmm. But then they will, on the other side of the issue, they're like, well, you know, abortion's not okay. You know? Yeah. Like, so they're like, I think like we as people are so much more balanced. We've been, we've been put in this position where like categories. We, yeah. We've, we've, yeah. we've been forced to pick a side. Wait, right? Exactly. And I think it's been done by design. Like yeah. that was actually not how it was meant to be. Um, I don't think that our founding fathers anticipate or were really, I think they were thinking ahead and I think that the constitution was actually brilliant, but I think that they didn't really anticipate what would happen. Like the, the government is actually not enough. It's too small. And let me explain what I mean. It's a small amount of people with a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And I think that originally when they wrote the constitution and they broke you know, like little like cities down and like the states and they broke everything apart. I don't think they were thinking long term when it was going to be millions and millions and millions of people and then a small amount of people representing them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So anyway, I just um, I hope that I don't know. We're in a really weird political climate right now. I just hope that people can kind of put their the two party system as aside and just realize that most people, liberal or conservative, generally have the same views if you just sit down and have a discussion about it. Yeah. Or, or, I mean, like what I often think about is like, sometimes you have to think of like the most extreme, absurd example to Mm -hmm. like remind yourself that we would have unity. For example, Mm -hmm. if aliens invaded planet earth, Mm -hmm. we, (laughs) we would all as humans there would be no China versus the U.S. Yeah. Like, if aliens were invading, we would all unite as humans against mm-hmm. the common enemy immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, like, or if there was a natural disaster, like, you there's know. There's a song. There's a song. I think it, who is it by? It's Black a, Eyed Peas? No, it's a dubstep. <laughs> no, it's a dubstep song. It's like, if, ah, fuck, what is it? It's by, like, Knife Party, I think. Knife Party? Okay. Or pendulum, something like that. Yeah, I'll figure it out later. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, like, and if you think about absurd examples like that, that helps remind you that, you know, like at the end of the day, we're all fucking human. At the Everyone end of, has, a, yeah. and most people, like, that's what I'm saying is like most people, when, and you know, we don't have to talk about politics or anything, but like, just to like drive like the point home, like when it comes to like abortion, most of the people that are against abortion are against like late term abortion. Or they had an abortion and they had like a bad reaction or they felt sad or depressed afterwards. So then they're anti-abortion. Most people that are pro-abortion are like, it's more like if I get pregnant and I don't realize it after a month and I can't make the appointment until two, like two months, I still want to be able to get the abortion. Like most people are not extreme, but because they've separated us into a two party system, it's like they've made us seem so much more divided we really actually are, you know, and how, how they like, obviously how they cover the issues, right? Like yeah. a big, a big controversial issue that's happening right now in, in Florida, right mm-hmm. here where we're at is the, don't, the say don't say gay bill. 
and it's not like it's not what it is. yeah it's it, it it is the farthest thing from anybody not being allowed to say gay it's that people don't want like people they want kids younger than fourth grade learning about sexuality period and it's yeah. like my balls didn't drop until i was at least in sixth grade i didn't even like, lose my virginity till yeah 22. I, we didn't even have like heterosexual sex ed training to yeah. like eighth grade i mean kids in second third grade they're more concerned with like their minds developing and like playing video games. They or, don't even or, have hormones at that point. Yeah. They don't have hormones to even have this kind of discussion. And if you did want to have this discussion, like, and I have some, some insight into this because there's people that bring their kids to Burning Man, right? Oh. If you want to be that progressive to where you showcase your kids at the youngest possible level, mm-hmm. what, what really progressive lifestyles look like mm-hmm. more power to you, but that should be the parents disorder, yeah, decision, right? Like the whole bill is just telling people like, wait, we just don't want somebody that's being paid underpaid yeah you know because our our teachers don't get paid enough yeah like we don't want someone who's underpaid who kind of hates their job because if they didn't hate their job they'd be you know working at a larger university or something Mm -hmm. which they should be paid a lot more they should be given more benefits but they're not but uh you know we we just don't want to trust someone else at that young of age teaching sex to kids that like don't even yeah, know what no. sex is for these kids still believe in Santa Claus at both this age. My, both of my, bro- yeah, both of my <laughs> brothers are gay. And like, what I'll tell you is that looking back, we knew really young that they were gay. Like we weren't, and I grew up in a conservative house, so we didn't like talk about it and like, Oh, that's gay. Like that was, uh, that's how I was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And that was probably bad, you know, like it probably w- was bad for them because obviously they were having these urges when they started to to move into puberty and stuff. But you could tell really young that that they were gay, but some like the conversation didn't even start to come up until they were like 15, 14. And although I think that, you know, you should be open to discuss those things in school. I don't think that you need to be having that conversation before like, they're like, what, like 11, 12. Yeah. I mean, at least I would say at least sixth grade. But I mean, again, uh, like I've seen parents bring their kids to, to Bernie man and at different strokes for different folks. Like I don't even necessarily think that's a wrong because who am I to it's say different what, cultures yeah yeah I mean like part of me thinks like okay like what kept me out of trouble was my parents shielding me from a lot of, pro- of progressive stuff until a certain age mm-hmm. But maybe I don't know the right way of parenting. Maybe the future of parenting is brutal honesty mm-hmm. from a super a young that's age. That's I plan to raise my kids. Yeah, and if that's the case, but like that should be your choice to raise your kids with brutal honesty. You shouldn't be forced to have your kids learn brutal honesty from someone else. I'm just like, if anybody were to ever know my political position on anything, it's how can I keep the government out of it? Because at the end of the day, I'm a free human. God gave me this life. It's my life. You can't tell me what the fuck to do. As long as I'm not hurting somebody, like physically hurting somebody, I will still hurt people's feelings. But as long as I'm not hurting somebody, you can't tell me what to do, period. Yeah, I mean, like our country was started because another government was charging too much for tea. Yeah. <laughs> and taxing too much, you know, like, like a little, a little tax went up and we fucking started a revolution, Yeah, you know? So I, ha- it- I have this, um, 
this meme that I've been meaning to post and it's like objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And then on the bottom it says (laughs) (laughs) 1776.2. Whenever you're ready. (laughs) But then at the end of the day, like, you know, what the fuck are our problems, right? There's also that meme that shows like the Milky Way galaxy. And then it's got like a little speck in the corner, like where we'd be. And it'd be like, as an arrow points to it and says, this is you crying in the shower. Like, you know, like it shows just how insignificant everything is and just how like grateful you got to be. We have so we like anyone who is unhappy in this country right now. I just like, we okay. Yeah. There's really bad inflation and actually like there have been a lot of problems the past two years, but we still have it so fucking good. Yeah. We still have it so fucking good. I'd say probably the only people that maybe have it better are people with oil money in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> They're killing it over in Dubai lately. Dude, Saudi Arabia is going to have the best Burning Man because I am... There's a Burning Man in Saudi Arabia? No, but I'm oh. saying that like with gas out there, I am dreading paying gas for Burning Man this year because it, it, oh. it like filling up the RV, filling up the generators, driving 11 hours. It's it's going to be it's going to be a brutal gas charges for Burning Man this year, but the Saudis will have probably their own burn. I have a much better burn. A much better burn. That shit. It's like, uh, anyway, I don't even want to go. <laughs> so to you've got, uh, you got a pretty hilarious uh, video. Oh, my on, music video? Yeah. Well, yeah, your music video, uh, Quarantine and Chill. Yeah. Actually, instead of just, let's just play it okay. instead of, instead of me talk about it. Cause I actually really liked it, but I think I'm not going to do it justice if I try to talk about it. <laughs> Did you make music alongside a comedy or was there a break when you started making? Well, when COVID happened, it was right after I got into stand up, And so I was like, I just got started. Like I have all this momentum, like I need to create. So I started working on music. I did actually three songs. I did, um, the sugar daddy song. I did ass shots with Bubba Sparks actually. And then I did quarantine and chill, which I really like the quarantine and chill song. The other ones are kind of annoying. And so this is you, you're actually rapping in all these verses, right? Yeah. It's really me. Okay. My friend Bryce, um, he helped me write some of the melodies. Um, but I wrote pretty much all the lyrics. He, we kind of wrote it together, but the lyrics, are funny. Yeah, so yeah, like, like yeah, the beat maker, and then he helped you massage some of the yeah, some of the words. Yeah, some mm-hmm. of the words to actually match the beat. But then, yeah. like, but what's really impressive about this is like you are a stand-up comedian, but this is like this is really good. Like when I when I heard this, my mind immediately went to Lonely Island. Like, no, like oh. Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island. Okay. Like, yeah, like I'm on, I'm I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. Fuck yeah, like, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. Like, that, so my goal is to be like uh, the female Little Dicky. Okay, I love Little Dicky too. What's the one he did with Snoop Dogg was phenomenal. The uh, professional rapper. I don't know it. That's not, well, we'll play that one after. Okay. Let's let's let's. But that was my goal. Like, yeah. uh, that's cool. So that that's the vibe I got when when I heard it because it was like, wow. There's I, and that's why I thought maybe you were a singer before you did comedian, but it sounds like you've just been like dabbling in whatever you're interested in and crushing it at that. <laughs> I'm a, a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> trying to master comedy, <laughs> but yeah. That's so awesome. Here, I'll play it. I think I have to start it over. Yeah, start from the beginning. Okay. From the top. Man, you know this ain't, this ain't what we're supposed to be doing. No, it is what we're supposed to be doing. You don't fucking cheat on me. You don't fucking cheat on me. Get the fuck out of my apartment. 
the coronavirus is mutating. It's changed hundreds of times since January. Okay, I get it, the fucking end of the world. But like, if I'm about to be stuck in my house, I need to fucking find myself some doomsday dick. That dick was too small. That dick was a little bit too big. His mom was so annoying. There's no way I'm calling him. Okay, so he cheated on me, but that was bomb ass sex and he doesn't talk very much. Hey baby, you know what they say. Stay home if you're sick. Come over if you're thick. <laughs> baby, can you quarantine and chill? I got my fridge completely filled. Say I got a key six feet away. What are these games you're trying to play? You look so good in the face mask. I got toilet paper for that ass. Baby, can you quarantine and chill? The government is paying all our bills. We broke up last year. You cheated on me, dear. But I'm not worried about it because the end is so near. I got a balcony where we can have some fun. DMing all these bitches. But you're my number one. Bought some condoms at the store. I'm sorry if I snore. You can just ignore and play your PS4. Play your PS4. you baby stay home if you're sick come over if you're thick and you are so so thick so come over stop playing these games baby baby can you quarantine and chill i got my fridge completely filled say i got a key six feet away what are these games you're trying to play so good in the face mask. I got toilet paper for that ass. Baby, can you quarantine and chill? The government is paying all our bills. Quarantine and chill, yeah, I got the same pills. No, I'm not trying to get you killed. You say I give you chills. Are you sure you're really not sick? Uh, doesn't really matter because they're thick. Uh, I'm trying to get up on that dick. Uh, been too easy, my fix. Baby, 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 can you quarantine and chill? I got my fridge completely filled. Say I got a key six feet away. What are these games you're trying to play? You look so good in the face mask. I got toilet paper for that ass. Baby, can you quarantine and chill? Where are you going dressed like that? What? I'm just going to the grocery store. You look like you're about to rob a Forever 21. <sighs> you know they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, they have to sell all their assets. You know what? I'm not having this conversation with you right now. Can you at least give me a sports brawl? Shut up!
There it is. There it is. <laughs> so a couple quick questions after that. First off, what makes a good doomsday dick? <laughs> because uh, with the way the world is going right now, <laughs> I feel like COVID is not going to be the last doomsday situation no. that we that we encounter in our lifetime. And there's lots of guys out there that probably aspire to be good doomsday dick. That's something that this they song need to was know. written about somebody. Okay. A, yeah. a, a, good, a good doomsday dick? Only for doomsday. Okay, only for doomsday, okay. <laughs> uh, he's actually but, a comedian. He knows okay. who he is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, like, what's a good criteria for a doomsday dick? I always had so much fun when I was hanging out with him. Mm-hmm. Very toxic person. You might argue that I'm the one that's toxic, but... That's how toxic situations go, though, is, like... Yeah. The, it's toxic because the other... Each, both people think the other person's toxic. And neither of them are communicating properly. Yeah, exactly. With the real root of the issues, but, but he was toxic. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> no, if no, no, it's no. doomsday, if it's doomsday, like we all said, everybody unites together. Maybe the toxic isn't on the table. He is really good in bed. And I don't know if it's just Ooh. with me or what, because he actually has the, like, my nickname with him is the throat goat. Throat goat, okay. He gave me that nickname. But, like, I don't know what it was about him. I think we're both comedians. We're probably both a little mentally unstable. But mm-hmm. the sex was really good. And he didn't live too far away. And I really just didn't like him as a person at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That, that, but, like... I still don't... Yeah, but, I mean, like, again, if we're talking about doomsday here, like, you don't you don't have to Doesn't see... Matter. A, yeah, you don't have to see a future with someone. There no, is no, no, no future. No. I didn't even like him at all. I still didn't <laughs> like him. Like, we would be hanging out, and, like, as soon as we would start actually having a real conversation, I would, like, want to punch him. <laughs> but, no, it was, we had fun every time we were together. And the sex was was really good and like better i don't i don't want to say better than anyone because it was there's no real emotional connection but it's just like yeah. real toxic fucking sex yeah so anyway he was like my quarantine like thing like for sex purposes and i wrote that song about him actually that well kudos to you mr toxic uh that's it's a great song and absolutely hilarious i as i was watching i was i still couldn't like phantom why we place so much emphasis on toilet paper during this this last this last uh, covid situation like if i had called a pandemic prior like, i would have never thought that toilet, toilet paper would not be on and the hand high sanitizer it's like yeah. it's, a, it's the the disease is communicated through like what but he, okay even before we knew that uh, hand sanitizer true. i could kind of understand because yeah, like true. we didn't really we didn't know, know that at the time yeah, but right. toilet paper like i mean i Toilet paper is not even like I think of my essentials going to Burning Man, you know, like bring baby wipes and whatnot. But like yeah. water and other things would be much, much more conducive to survival instead of toilet paper. But let's grab a fucking leaf, bro. <laughs> right. Right. I'm or, from Virginia. So yeah. Or if it's real. doom, if it's doomsday, it's like you don't need all well, your food. you don't need all your shirts. So like, you know, like, yeah, no one cares if you're if your fucking ass is disgusting <laughs> during doomsday. They care well, I, I, I care. I care. Yeah, I'm care. an ass eater. So myself. <laughs> so I don't know. If um, weird, bro. So is, is that is that like when we talk about like what's good sex for you, are you into more of like the rough toxic in situation? I know you did mention that you obviously we all like an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. That's like top of the line for everybody. Even 
even the raunchiest porn stars, and I know this because I interview them and go to the AVNs with them, mm -hmm. even the raunchiest porn stars, you throw them world-class connection and they take it day after yeah. day. So, like, I don't think anybody that's had a real connection will argue that, like, there's better sex elsewhere. Yeah. But that aside, out of all doomsday dicks yeah. or all quarantine dicks, mm -hmm. it, like, describe your ideal sexual guy or maybe just describe this day or, or maybe just describe this guy more. Or this guy he will love it because he has an ego problem but <laughs> <laughs> which you will argue doesn't exist it does no i think it was just like we had a connection and he that he would when he was sober he would completely deny and I, my self-esteem at the time, I was still healing from my, my brain injury and my yeah. heartbreak. Self-esteem wasn't the highest. So for me, it was like just the fucking best sex because we had this connection and then there was like a lot of hatred for him because he was like treating me really bad. And then he hated me because I was fucking, I guess, was crazy, whatever. So it was like a mixture of like the toxicity plus like a connection. Okay. It just made it fucking perfect for that time. So it was like, and it, like a little, we did a lot of drugs together. Yeah. It, it was like, it was an opportunity for you to take out your emo other emotions you were feeling yeah. during sex. Yeah. Kind of. Cause like I knew that he didn't really respect me like he should, but at the time it was just like, I don't really like, I'm not even like in that headspace. I just would like to have like sex with you for like however long we're locked down. It was great. Yeah, but I mean, like, when we talk about, like, what... What made it good? Yeah, like, like why you wanted to have sex with him and not <laughs> and not the next toxic guy at Space Nightclub. No, it wasn't in Space Nightclub. He's in LA. I know, I know. I'm, like, oh. we're just, I'm thinking of toxic places where, oh, where yeah. you could potentially have sex, but... Shocker that you met a toxic... You, you had toxic sex in LA? Yeah, that's that shocking. Crazy? Yeah, Jesus. what the heck? No, um, I don't want to boost his ego too much. I mean, hopefully he'll never see this, but... No, he was, he has like this weird personality and I don't know. I don't know if I would ever hook up with him again because I feel like I love myself now, <laughs> but he has this weird personality where he's like very submissive to women. Mm -hmm. And so he's like in bed, he's like very giving and like almost like, like lets me kind of be dominant a little bit, which is probably, I think like a little bit of like, maybe he had like a little bit of low self-esteem, but then it would be like counteracted by like his huge ego. So in bed, it was like, I kind of got to be dominant for a second. And then like ego would take so over like, and he would be manly. And I'm like, Oh wow. This guy's like, like lets me be like crazy and like whatever. And then immediately after he becomes a man, I really like that. So like confident in the streets and simp in the sheets. Yeah, bro. He's really good at that. This guy's really good at that. I have to give him that. He treated like he treated me like shit. But honestly, at the time, I feel like, and maybe I'm getting a little bit deep, but at the time, I was welcoming a lot of people that were treating me like shit. Yeah. I was dealing with a lot of personal problems, and I didn't have the boundaries that I needed to have. I wasn't capable of having them because I was just dealing with so many other things. So I, maybe I don't even blame him, but he's just... Bro, this is this is what made the sex good, because he would simp, and I think he's just good at sex in general. But he would simp in bed, like yeah. simp for me in bed. And I'm cough like, in the streets, simp in the sheets. So mm -hmm. I mean, that might be the formula for for a doomsday dick. I I actually didn't think we'd we'd get to the formula and get that deep down into it. So oh, I'm pretty open. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a stand-up comedian. There's really nothing off limits, unfortunately. Fantastic. So with comedy going forward, are you going 
full force into stand up or are you like going to like explore other avenues? Like, what do you like now that I know that you're this talented where you could just oh, pick thanks. up a mic and start rapping or <laughs> thanks. Pick up a pick up a mic when your friend's failing on stage and carry the weight of the stand up mm-hmm. and turn that into a career. Where are you taking this comedy next? So um, I actually I did a few prank videos before I got into stand up comedy. Mm. So I have I'm friends with I think some of the biggest pranksters online. Not all of them, but a few of them. And I'm waiting for a couple of them. One of them is Top Notch Idiots. They're really good. You guys should subscribe. Um, Shout out to Top Notch Idiots. <laughs> another guy that I've been talking to re- recently is Vitaly. Do you know who he is? Yeah, he, knows who he, is. he was. So this is so funny. I, I think I, I I texted you about this one time. Oh, uh, but Vitaly was at the rave cave the same night you were. What? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I like shot. I'm okay. I'll tell him this when we finally meet in person. But like ever since he started, I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. It just shows like I was like meant to be a comedian. But I've been like following him for a while. And I'm like, damn, if I just like my parents wouldn't be embarrassed, <laughs> I would do that. Now they don't care about me. So I, I could do that. But I randomly messaged him after I made the decision to quit my job and focus on comedy. I randomly messaged him and I was like, hey, aren't you based in Miami? Like we should make videos together. And he immediately responded and followed me back and was like, yeah, let's do it. So I'm hoping that when he gets back to Miami, him and I can do some stuff together. And then I'm going to L.A., hopefully going to do stuff with Top Notch Idiots and then um, with Basque TV. But uh, for me, I want to make it in both ways. So I want to be an online presence when it comes to anything comedy related. So that means music. That means pranks. That means skits. Um, I'm hope, hoping to work with this guy. His handle is Uh-Oh Nick. Mm-hmm. When I go to um, LA next week, he's a really great uh, producer and comedian himself. So I'm hoping to expand my online presence to the point where people don't just know me from doing stand-up, but they also know me from anything comedian, co- comedy related. Uh, I think... If you want to really like make a mark, you kind of have to do that, at least yeah. in my opinion. Um, and then obviously, like I try to do at least one show a week out here. I'm going to L.A. in a couple of weeks. I'm trying to do some shows out there. I have my podcast partner. Uh, her name's Ashley Casanova. And we are going to be putting together uh, something really exciting. Like we want to do sketch comedy, like in living color. So tell, tell everybody who doesn't know what sketch comedy is, what that entails. So sketch, I mean, I guess it's different. It could be, you can interpret it different ways. Like, is this like Saturday Night Live or? Yeah. So my opinion on Saturday Night Live is they're too political and mm-hmm. they don't push the envelope as much anymore. Certainly not as much as they used to. Yeah. And I grew up watching In Living Color and it was my favorite show as a kid. And I just want to create like a like sketch comedy that just offends everybody. I want to offend everybody, everyone. I want to offend everyone so that nobody can get mad. Everyone can be offended. Everyone can start to laugh at themselves again because like people tell jokes sometimes and I get offended and I'm a comedian and I just think that's just like part of it. Yeah. You know? So when you think, when you talk about pranks, uh, is there any pranks that you have in mind that like you would want to start doing? I mean, you like, 
you can give it away now. I don't think our audience is that big enough where you'll probably you'll, you'll probably get the likes. Well, so I have one video um, with Top Notch Idiots where it was. Are they doing burnouts out there? Um, where it was, would you like to make a baby with me? And I just went up to random people and asked if they wanted to make a baby with me. And that one w- did really well. Went by. What was your success rate on people that wanted to make a baby with you? Um, I even almost got a gay guy to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd say well, it was like okay. Out of 10. In fairness to the gay guy, like his husband and them are probably been We're like perfect. Like, yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> no, it was pretty good. It was fun. I actually wanted I wanted to do more pranks with them, so I'm excited that they're gonna do more with me. But I don't really have any in mind. Like I'm basically just going on these these guys channels and I'm gonna just ask them for a tag to, to yeah. my own channel well Vitaly when you watch this we Did have we have a, a a person here that wants to do pranks with you but he knows it no he's well aware yeah, yeah no, okay. he's, it's, make it it's happen a plan. no it's a plan when he gets back to Miami um I'm just he's like tra- he's like in Dubai or something Love it. Love it. Well, uh, we look, we look forward to that one when it happens. Um, tell, tell everybody where they can get a hold of, where they can get, uh, get a hold of you, find you and obviously check out quarantine and chill on YouTube, but give everybody your, your handles and where you're going to be at. So basically everything is at big Mac Lawson. So B I G M A C L A. Well, they're going to tag it. Yeah. I'll be big in the Mac show Lawson. Everything is at big Mac Lawson. I'm going to be ch- streaming on Twitch soon. I'm going to start doing vlogs this year on YouTube. That's another thing I'm going to do. Vlogging. And uh, my Instagram is also at Big Mac Lawson. And then on Spotify for my music, it's just Big Mac with two C's. Oh, nice. So you got the audio versions on Spotify as well? Yeah. Cool. So you can bump that in the car if you you know don't don't want to use YouTube. It's on Spotify as well. Well, it has been an absolute fucking pleasure, and I, I think we're gonna have to do this again when you're doing your pranks with Vitaly. We'll I'll, oh, I'll yeah, get, I'll get we'll get the, we'll get the mics out there, and we'll we'll, we'll document a little bit more. Yeah, of this he's super it's been nice, super fun. Yeah, um, but. Welcome back anytime, and I'm excited to be a resident here with you in Miami. Hell yeah. Now I'm going to have tequila in me. We're going to have to go party. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Cheers. Thank you.